brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Prep Radio on time, on target. I cannot, for the life of me, believe that that will be the last time I'll be saying this on this show. I've been saying a, a combination of softrep.com on time, on target, softrep radio on time, on target for the last seven years of my life. Jesus. And it's, you know, become a catchphrase that uh, is. Uh, it's okay. Tied to me. And if you're ever getting nostalgic, we'll have you on as a guest. That'd be cool, come actually. On. I, I'm, I'm always up for that, man. I don't know what I would talk about, but. <laughs> talk um, about something. Talk about, you know, your routine in the gym. I'm, I'm down. Sounds good. Doing um, some curls. We'll, we'll talk some more about kind of reflecting, at least for me, on the past seven years, because it genuinely means a lot to me. And, and uh, to, to Dennis's suggestion, I'll save that for the end of the show. I was kind of going to start it out with it. But you're, you're right. I think it makes more sense. And we have a great interview lined up with Jeffrey Hess. Uh, before we get to anything of substance, this show is brought to you by Crate Club, a club for men, by men, of gear handpicked by special operations military veterans. Visit CrateClub.us for an exclusive promotion for our listeners of 20% off your subscription. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long we can keep this promotion live. So go to CrateClub.us, use the coupon code SOFREP, and get 20% off any subscription. That's CrateClub.us, coupon code SOFREP for 20% off. Sign up now. Uh, And I'll also mention once again, warmer weather in New York City. We have the windows open. You'll hear that natural sound. So that doesn't sound like a soundproof studio. (laughs) Deal with it. Uh, And the first thing I guess I'll mention is you were on Brooke Baldwin yesterday talking about the release of the guy many of us know as Johnny Giad, John Walker Lind, released from prison after 17 years of working with the terrorists. Yeah, uh, went in and did uh, CNN yesterday, and uh, I was on the phone with Jim West on my way in. And um, was he like CNN? Why are you going on with those communists? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he he was just like uh, I, we were talking about where we were going because they moved their studio used to be in Columbus Circle. Now it's um, in Hudson Yards, which is over by the Javits Center. And uh, Jim's company that he works for built all that. Oh wow! And yeah, I, yeah. He he does a lot of you know that's what he does. Uh, yeah. mainly is construction. Yeah. And uh, I went in there and I was like blown away. It all looks like Blade Runner, like sci-fi movie in there. It's crazy. Like I am here to receive my neurological implants, you know, (laughs) step away from the camera, sir, so we can take your picture. You know, all that kind of stuff. There's like view screens everywhere, anime girls, and and, uh, it's all very like slick and high tech looking. Um, There's nothing, if you're a poor person or a regular normal guy like me, there's no way you would ever go shopping there. Um, By the way, good thing I, I had the disclaimer about the natural sound of New York yeah. City. <laughs> um, well, it's, so, yeah. it's okay, Ian. I have been in legit soundproof studios, quote unquote, in New York City, and you can still hear sound. Like, really? It's almost impossible to soundproof a studio uh, in this city. Maybe like Fox or... Sirius oh, XM does a good job. Yeah, Sirius does because they, they built like vaults. Yeah. You know? Um, Back but, to what you were saying, yeah. But anyway, um, so it's it's actually a really like beautiful... Um, uh, complex that they've built over there and it's cool to go and look at but you're not going to be spending any money unless you have a lot of it so it's like Burberry Gucci yeah 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 it, it's like a museum of handbags yeah you know there, there's nothing I would ever be able to afford but um yeah it's good to see Brooke again I haven't seen her in a few years because the last time I was on with her it was re- she was remote she was in DC and I was here in New York um but anyway we were talking about John Walker Lynn being released and he uh, is was sentenced to 20 years. Uh, he's getting out at, I think, 17. He's getting paroled out for good behavior. The problem is that the dude uh, still is radicalized, apparently. And I, like I was reading today, 
um, he ha- he w- had been corresponding with a producer at NBC News, and in 2014, 2015, he was like, "Yeah, ISIS is doing a good job. They're uh, representing true Islam, the true form of Islam, and and this and that." He's saying, "I was proud to participate in the uh, Afghan Emirates, you know, jihad, and and play a part in that." So, like, this dude is not a reformed jihadist by any means. Like, he is still a zealot. And but I mean, what do you do with this cat? I mean, if if he hasn't broken any additional laws, he's he's serving his sentence. He's been, uh, you know, he hasn't been acting up in the joint. So you got to let him go. Um, but there's, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's not a crime to right to basically uh, be a, a fan of right. There is no long. god but one god, and his name is Allah. It, it's weird though, because at the same time. Um, if you say things that, that sound radical on Facebook, on social media, you know, they, they do surveillance of that type of stuff. So it depends to what extent that you say it. I guess you could say, I support this. Yeah, but you, but can't, you, you say, can't say, I'm going to kill people. I'm going to set off a bomb outside a courthouse and kill a bunch of civilians. That's when you start getting into... But I wonder, if you, if you put, like, uh, let's say, a death to America type of thing on Facebook, could you get a knock on the door You can that? get a knock on the door. I don't think you'll get arrested, though. Yeah. Um, put you on a watch list, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That might do it. That might do it. Um, so, I mean, the, he's supervised. He's going to have, uh, like, parole uh, officers supervising him. He cannot travel overseas. He cannot access the Internet. Um, he's not allowed to, like, own, I guess, electronic devices and, and communicate with people. But, I, I mean, I, I, what I think is interesting with John Walker Lind and also with the Guantanamo Bay uh, detainees is, like, our legal system still to this day, 17 years later, just is not prepared to, like, process these guys. Like, we don't really know what to do with them. And I guess with John Walker Lind, we're going to have to just, like, have an FBI surveillance van p- parked outside his house forever, <laughs> like, just in case he does something <laughs> dumb. You know, and and I mean, people are like, why are we letting him out of jail? It's like, well, you kind of have to because he was subjected to due process, and and this is this was his sentence. And I mean, yeah, I would prefer that he he's kept in prison because I don't think he's a good person. Yeah, but I mean, the law is the law. I mean, I would understand both arguments, but yeah, you got to go with you. You can't really go against the legal system with something like that. I wonder if he was in any way capable of radicalizing anyone while he was in prison. That's a good question. Uh, wasn't he in like a supermax See, prison? That's what I don't know. That's in I'm, Indiana. I, I don't know about the security. He, he, pro- he probably up. had limited interaction with other prisoners. I yeah, because they would probably worry about that. That I mean, that goes back to a, a debate they've had about if they close Guantanamo, what district prison would they put these people in? Because they do worry about that same type of an issue. Yeah, yeah. being a problem. So, and and the the issue with these people at Gitmo is like. You know, sometimes they're not like hardcore radicals when they go in, but if you've been locked up for like eight years without a trial, <laughs> you'll become one. You yeah. will be a radical <laughs> by the time you get out, you know. I, I mean, I just know from following in the years of the whole debate on Guantanamo, it's been a very favorable thing, especially among the Democrats, to close down Guantanamo. But whenever they have the debate then of which district are we going to send these prisoners to, no one wants them understandably they were gonna i mean i remember when obama was making moves to do that and they were gonna put them on it was like down here in manhattan courthouse they were i remember that yeah yeah. and and it got shut down i did see by the way some uh of course memes going around one i won't say who it is a former writer for the site put up a meme of uh you know u.s patriots being jailed referring to eddie gallagher and you know traitors being released from prison and it shows john walker lynn so it's just a pure populist appeal like this is how i feel this is how the world should be ordered and yeah. that it is not ordered and it doesn't make sense like that is bad um yeah i was having a conversation with somebody similar today that you know it's just pure populism like it's that kind of like down homey aw shucks kind of common sense logic i could see trump saying something of that nature it, it's, oh absolutely yeah. absolutely um, yeah. But, any, any other thoughts on it? I'm, I'm, you know, just curious as to know. I mean, the only other thing, I mean, I would point out is we arrested, uh, we captured, you know, John Lind in, uh, you know, the opening days of the war in Afghanistan. 
And at that time, nobody, nobody thought we'd still be in Afghanistan 17 years later. And here this, this dude served his prison sentence is getting out of jail. And we're still in Afghanistan, still fighting the same fucking war, like literally fighting the same war. Like we have not made any progress there. It's insane. Um, all right. Well, with that, unless you have anything else, we have uh, Jeffrey Hess coming on. You know what else we can mention uh, if we got a minute? Yeah, we, we do. So sidebar, sidebar. Uh, we had a, a previous episode where we interviewed uh, Tom King, if you remember that, yes. former CIA officer who uh, got out and uh, has been writing for DC Comics. That's what I was going to say, DC Comics. Yeah, man. And like, the, I'm going I'm to give some more real talk here, some real talk. Uh, Tom did an awesome job, I think, the first like, 15, 20 issues of Batman. Like, amazing. I was like, this dude is going to rock it like, right through. He, he was scheduled to do 100 comic books. 100 Batman comics. I'm like, this is awesome. He's the right guy, right? So he played up for like 50 issues, Batman getting married to Catwoman. And then that like, she, she stands him up and it's like totally anticlimactic. And like, it, it pissed off a lot of readers. And then after that, Batman is sad for like 15, 20 comic books. This is the same issue you had with the Punisher. Uh, oh, this TV series. Of him just being Just emo. being sad. Yeah, <laughs> just being beta, right? <laughs> And like Batman is not a beta male. Like it's yeah. you know, he he's sad and gloomy and stuff, but like he he's he's not like, you know, low T, like I'm feeling sorry <laughs> for myself, you know. So like fifteen, twenty comics of Batman feeling sad, and then the next like eight comics is he's trapped in a dream. And at, and at like probably like three or four weeks ago, I just dropped it. it stopped. I stopped buying DC Comics Damn. altogether. I was like, I'm so. And this is a guy you like. Yeah, yeah. He started off so strong, and I was just so disappointed. I, I just I was bummed out myself. I was like, th- these comics have become unreadable. And like, I'm sorry, Tom. Like, you did some great, great comics that I loved. Um, he did some cool miniseries stuff. He did uh, he did this like Swamp Thing special that was super cool. He's a talented writer, but like something came off the rails with Batman. I don't know what it was. I'd be curious to know if it was all his decision because I'm sure there's people higher up that say you got to do this, you got to appeal to I'm, female I'm, readers. I'm sure that plays into it, but I really don't know. Um, so the news that that broke yesterday is Tom King is being removed from Batman. Oh, well, I, I mean that does suck because he's a good good dude. Eighty, uh, uh, he he was scheduled to do eighty five issues, and he was saying like the last fifteen issues are going to be the big reveal. It's going to change Batman forever. Well, apparently someone at DC didn't like where he was going with it because yeah. they're they're removing him at issue eighty five. Do we know where he's going on from there? Or He still has a contract with DC to write comic books, so he's probably just going to work on other series. And, you know, I'll continue following his work, and I'm more than happy to read it. Um, you know, I think he's a good guy, talented writer. Um, with his, The partner he works with sometimes, artist Mitch Gerards, who we also yep. had on the show. Mitch is an incredible artist. Yes. And I would be excited to see them work together. Um, I'll take a look at whatever they work on, you know. But... Yeah, something went really south with Batman. I don't really know why he went in that direction, but it was uh, it was by the end of it when I stopped reading the comics like a few weeks ago. It was like these are just unreadable. Like I can't read it. I can't even do it. Well, if we're covering some entertainment news before we get to Jeffrey, since we have a few minutes, I did see the new Terminator trailer. I don't know if either of you guys did. Oh, that is, is Remy in it? Uh, no, no, no. You're thinking Transformers. The new Terminator, because he's... Oh, that's right, with he was Sarah, Trans- Sarah Connor, yeah. Yeah, he was in Transformers, and now he's doing another um, Michael Bay film, but mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. it's not Transformers. Uh, but no, Arnold is back, uh, Linda Hamilton is back, and it looks pretty cool. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the series, but there's nothing about this trailer that's, like, mind-blowing, but... I mean, I'm going to see it regardless. What, what's the what's the plot of it? It takes place uh, after the apocalypse. Well, the thing is, yeah, it's supposed to continue right after Terminator 2. So we're going to pretend that these other movies didn't happen. And um, James Cameron is attached to this one as well. Not as the director, as the writer. So he's back. And, you know, I think people feel like three and these others were a little lackluster. So we're going to. We're going to pretend they didn't happen, and we're going to go right from there two. Was, there was like that movie. Was it like Terminator Genesis? Yes. That was horrible. <laughs> horrible. And uh, then the other thing is, I don't know if either of you guys have been following. I, I, I spoke to you about it when it was season one, but Cobra Kai season two, I absolutely have been loving. I'm still not finished with it. Have you watched it, Dennis? Or? I have not, but okay. Ralph Macchio is the man. Billy Zabka is in it, right? 
Yeah, I I love just the nostalgia of it and and how like un PC it is, which is surprising. That's it's the new YouTube. thing in Hollywood now. Like, what's old is new again. So they're like, but I mean, just everything is over the top PC, and this is like, this is the opposite of that. I'm really yeah. I'm really liking season two, but like I said, I still haven't finished it. But it's cool. I know you haven't watched. Either no, no. What yet. what's what's on PC about it? I, I mean, they just take shots at all different type of things in that uh, the the character played by. Who, who am I thinking of? The Cobra Kai guy. I don't remember his William William Zabka is the actor. Yeah, uh, he plays I his, like I forgot his name. He just plays this old school guy who who's not afraid to be like this is pussy shit. This is you know like Clint Eastwood like yelling at the kids to get off his lawn. Yeah, but he's he, but at the same time he's a likable character. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah. make him uh, like like this guy who's behind the times, but. In a way, they do. I don't know. You'd have to watch it, but it definitely goes against the whole PC thing of today. I've even seen comments from viewers, you know, on the videos of like, "What I like about this series is it, it's not PC. It's not afraid to like go against." Well, that. Yeah, that's what I liked about uh, Gran Torino is that it's not PC at all. Yeah, but it kind of tells at the same time the story of like this old white man like forming a relationship with these immigrants next door. And, you know, how they form this friendship. But also, it's like, it's real, too, at the same time. Yeah, this, this is the same thing in that it's a really diverse cast of kids. And, and he says shit that you're not supposed to say <laughs> in 2019. But, uh, you know, he also forms, like, a great relationship with these kids and stuff. It also uh, plays into the whole, like, Stolen Valor thing at one point. Oh, really? Because of uh, who his sensei was coming back. And he, like, inflates his whole history of what he did in the military. And the kids seem to be up on it where he's, like, where he'll mention a country and they're, like, that's not where that's located. And he'll be, like, well, I, I spent so much time in the sandbox that it all kind of meshes <laughs> together. You'd, find it, you'd Dude, find it cool, man. You remember that Simpsons episode where it turns out that Principal Skinner is a stolen Valor case? I don't remember and he was, that. he was never in Nam. Dude, that was, like, heartbreaking for me. <laughs> Because he's always talking about how, like, oh, they had me locked in a tiger cage for three months. I don't, I don't remember that. Was was this like old Simpsons? Because I did. It was, it was old. Yeah, I mean, we were probably like in high school or something like that when it came out. Okay, because I did basically fall off at a certain point with the Simpsons. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch it regularly, but when I see it on TV or when I'm like traveling or something and I see it, I watch it and it's funny. Except that I don't think the new episodes have been. I, I think it fell off. Really, I haven't seen it, and I, like I said, I see like maybe once a year if that. That, yeah, you know? same here. And then when I do, I'm just like, ah, oh, this doesn't. This isn't like the classic days. But I like I, when they when they cover uh, Millhouse and bumper stickers. All right, mummy's ready for his mystical journey. <laughs> <laughs> and push him in the shopping cart down the hill. <laughs> um, all right. Well, with that, we covered some entertainment news unexpectedly, but that's what happens on this show sometimes. We're gonna get over to Jeffrey Hess, author of No Salvation, and uh, Navy veteran. So we got in some entertainment news there, uh, but we do have our feature interview. As promised, we have Jeffrey Hess on here, who is a Navy veteran, the author of No Salvation, a novel. The novel is inspired by the actual events from the USS Kitty Hawk during Vietnam. The book takes place in 1972. And the thing that it tackles that went on on the USS Kitty Hawk is the issue of racial tension that occurred at that time. Uh, has also authored Beachhead, Cold War, Canoe Club, and No Salvation, among some other titles. And uh, we're happy to have you on and, and talk about this great book. Hey, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, you guys are pros, and I really like what you're doing. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, so for for the audience, do you want to tell us maybe a little bit more about this book to get them uh, refreshed on on what it's all about and what inspired the book? Oh, sure, yeah. The, uh, the elevator pitch is that... Um, no Salvation is largely about a race riot aboard an aircraft carrier in the South China Sea in 1972. And the ship's first black executive officer must choose between his race and the Navy in his effort to save all aboard. And um, you mentioned some of the, um, the reference ships, like the Kitty Hawk, for example. But uh, in 1972, there were a number of ships that were having issues, uh, not only racial issues, but issues of... Um, sabotage and widespread drug use. And so what I kind of did was take, I uh, took through a lot of research um, and, and made kind of uh, a standalone story about all these elements that were going on. Because I have uh, nine characters. It's not just all race-based uh, material. So with the, the sabotage and the drug use and some suicide and some su suspicious activity, it's all kind of interwoven and kind of a synthesis of a number of different things that were going on, a number of different ships at that time. 
I know this is a uh, novel, Jeff, but I, I'd really like to get into, you know, kind of what inspired it, because I, I feel like what you're talking about right now is a time and place in the military that the public knows nothing about. Uh, there was really like at, like post-Vietnam War, the, the army uh, uh, was in very bad shape. And there was stuff that happened in Germany, drug use, even murders that just got swept under the rug. I think John Q. Public just has no idea how bad it really was. That's especially true, you know, overseas, you know, whether it's on land or at sea. And and that was really the case in 72. Um, again, you know, following on the heels of everything that was going on in America at the time, you know, with all of the uh, civil rights movement and, and some of the unrest that was happening, it was kind of... Uh, uh, amplified aboard ship because you figure you know a ship is a pressure cooker in the best of circumstances and then when you start thinking that uh these guys and, and they were all guys back then there were no women on ships back in 72 uh long periods of time without uh, any type of recreation no uh, port visits just all work all pressure all the time and then of course you throw in, in the race uh, issues then you throw in the um the drug usage and and it just it was—it's a powder keg and waiting to go off, and that's kind of what I was finding. And you asked how it, how it came about. I was doing some research for a story collection that I was writing, uh, Cold War Canoe Club, as you might imagine, all about the Cold War. And so I, I kind of stumbled across information from the New York Times and some uh, congressional reports uh, about incidents that took place in uh, 1972, and um, and I just I couldn't couldn't resist it. So I had to include, a li- I wrote one story uh, for the collection based on information that I found, but I knew I would have to come back to it. It was it was too rich of material and there's too widespread events that took place that I knew I would have to write a novel about that. So when I finished the collection, I got I got right on it. And it, it was five years in the making. Um, and so it's it's just a, a story that, like you said, people just do not know enough about. What was the the racial tension in the Navy at this time? Largely, it was um, access to quality jobs was tough because a lot of the uh, the black service members were not trained. They were not skilled. And part of that was because the Navy didn't allow them to hold uh, too many higher jobs on a widespread basis. They were uh, like the black executive officer obviously had training and, and the opportunity to fly planes and become an officer. And then, of course, an executive officer. However, uh, a lot of the um, enlistment requirements were lowered at that time because, again, it's Vietnam era. And so a lot of the uh, enlistees were given the choice of military or jail. And with that, you know, the judge given that type of uh, a sentence, they figured they, they'd go in the Navy. They thought it might be safer. And so that happened, and you had a lot of uh, unhappy and uh, disenfranchised uh, black sailors who were working in the ship's laundry, working in the, in the galleys and, and below decks and, and not, not being treated fairly in their eyes. And so they, um, they weren't happy, as you might imagine, pretty much widespread at that time. What were those incidents you mentioned that, that inspired the novel? The incidents that I found in my research largely was the Kitty Hawk riot. That was one of the biggest ones that took place, and that was in October of 72. But there was four days later, there was one on the uh, Hasa Yampa, that took place as well that was kind of um, not as widespread or as big and not as publicized, but it's all in the same congressional reports. And then the uh, Constellation had a demonstration uh, which they considered kind of an aborted mutiny. And so there was also, um, you know, a huge fire on the USS Forrestal in that era. Yeah. Um, and then the Ranger had sabotage. They found paint scrapers and other metal in the gears. Uh, the Oriskany, uh had collisions at sea. And again, all of these ships had pretty much widespread drug use because drugs were so uh, available, especially in places like the Philippines, uh, where a lot of these ships made port visits. And then, of course, you know, suicide was kind of—it's uh, always uh, present uh, aboard ship. But then, um, the Navy also at that time had—and um, they just had actually ended it recently—is the uh, the non-judicial punishment of bread and water. Mm-hmm to where they could be uh, it locked up in the brig uh, for three days on nothing but bread and water. And, of course, that happened quite a bit. And so, uh, again, the, the crew wasn't happy about that. When you say race riot on the Kitty Hawk, like what, how did that go down? Like what actually happened? 
largely as, as portrayed in the book, um, one of the uh, black sailors was so um, uh, upset and so angry that he kind of um, he, he wanted to get just lash out, just get revenge, just kind of um, take matters into his own hand. And in my book, what it was was somebody that gave up somebody else's name to get somebody in trouble, and it involved a drug ring. So there's a little bit of intrigue. You know, I'm largely a crime writer, and so I, I well, a crime writer, military writer. They don't know which I am, so I'm kind of both. And so um, with that, those two components, I found that it was um, it was more fun for me to imagine what it would be like and why this one guy would take matters into his own hands. And instead of igniting a whole race riot, what he did was he was just going after one guy. But he had his buddies with him. And so his buddies kind of, they overstepped. And so they kind of escalated things. And what happened actually on the Kitty Hawk, which happens in the book as well, these black sailors went into the white birthing spaces where white sailors were sleeping. Because, again, this is a ship of over over 4,000 men. And it was segregated. And, well, it was self-segregated. Really? The, the, the Navy didn't mandate that it would be segregated, but the black crew segregated themselves to the degree where they uh, didn't want uh, white authority coming down to police them. They wanted to have their own separate space. And so, again, that's, that's in the book as well. And so the uh, black sailors went into the white birthing spaces and just started yanking guys out of their racks and just pummeling them. And, and that kind of uh, that set off kind of a... Um, a rolling effect throughout the ship. So there's fighting in the passageways, fighting in the birthing areas. Uh, and as the, as captain Porter says, uh, yeah, he was surprised that all of the casualties were white. Wow. And, and I mean, how did they eventually get it under control? Uh, and on the, uh, in the case of the Kitty Hawk and in no salvation, uh, largely, uh, commander Porter steps up and he, he, he was one that was a kind of an Uncle Tom at the time, where he wasn't really accepted by the black crew. And again, out of a crew of, of over 4,000, there were only 300 black men. So they were a, a vast minority uh, aboard ship, and they had no real chance of succeeding if, if the riding continued. But the, um, the, the captain also had access to the Marine Force aboard, who was, was armed and ready to, ready to fire if, if need be. Uh, and so... Um, in the book, it kind of comes out that way. But um, I was trying to think of the last part of your question with the— Just um, how they diffused the, the race ride. Uh, I, I mean, because uh, as you said, you're on, a, you're on a pressure cooker. It's on a ship. I mean, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> exactly. And largely what happened was um, Commander Porter in, in No Salvation, he ends up ingratiating himself with the crew by uh, giving the black power salute. And that was actually something that took place on on the Kitty Hawk as well. And it was too strong material not to use. Wow. And so he kind of proved his blackness, so to speak, by by demonstrating that black power salute and, and then kind of showing that he was with them. But he wasn't a separatist in the way that it was one side versus the other. He wanted them to uh, demonstrate and, and convey their, their concerns and their grievances in a calm and, and productive way. And that's kind of, he, he rallied them and was able to do that, but also with the threat of, with the Marines. So it kind of coalesced into calmness. It's, uh, you know, thankfully in a lot of ways, it's such a bygone era. Uh, and there's probably younger people listening to this kind of thinking like, what the hell? But I mean, you also have to consider this was civil rights movement era, you had all these black people who could not vote, could not participate in society being drafted into the military to go fight, you know, what many of them consider to be the white man's war. Um, and you, you can't necessarily blame them. I mean, in my opinion, if you can't vote, but you're being drafted into the military to fight in a war, I mean, that's basically slavery. I mean, what, what else would you call that? Well, I'm actually confused by your uh, not being able to vote. They're all 18 when they get drafted, so they'd be able to vote. Well, I mean, pre-civil rights era. Well, actually, uh, black men have had the vote since the 1800s, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just mean that some of the like Jim Crow laws and some of the different types of oppression that was going on at oh, the oppression, time. Oh, widespread oppression, absolutely. Yeah. 100% agree with that. And, and also around the time of Rosa Parks and all that, you know, so certain areas of the country not being able to have the same privileges. Oh, privilege, that's totally different that subject, absolutely. Yep. I agree 100% there. Um. Yeah, and so what What inspired you to write a book about such a heated topic? I mean, racial tension, especially today, is something that we still talk about in this country. Uh, why was it something that you wanted to tackle? 
Well, kind of uh, for both of those reasons. One is that uh, it is such a, a, a topic of discussion today. It's still an issue, which I find interesting 47 years later. But in that time frame, I haven't found a book like this. And so, again, after discovering the material, I did some research, and, and there were no books, uh, no novels about this topic. There are some nonfiction books that cover the material. I'm a fiction writer, uh, novelist uh, particularly, and I, I, uh, I wrote the book I wanted to read. And that was my, my angle on it. And, and there, it didn't exist before, so, so I figured 47 years, nobody's done it, I'm going to do it. Because the, the information and the, the uh, research was just too compelling. And again, having you know a Navy background, I'm no expert by any means. I mean, I, I enlisted 11 years after this incident takes place, um, and I didn't see any racial uh, issues aboard ship at all. Um, and so the, the ground that they made in that 11 years was tremendous. And so I wanted to um, utilize some of those uh, memories as well as the research. And of course, being a novelist, I use imagination as well. And so I combined all three of those elements uh, to, to make the book my own. And it remains to be seen what people will think of it. It hasn't really come out yet. It'll drop Monday. And so I'm waiting on some editorial reviews to see how it's received. But again, I just uh, wrote the book I wanted to read. At what point did you transition from the Navy to becoming a fiction writer? Uh, let's see. I got out of the Navy in December of 89, and I jumped right into college. And then I, I went through four years of college, you know, being a 24-year-old freshman. Um, I graduated at 28. Which you can relate I, to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, that's what you do, right? And then I uh, started my first novel that summer. And is that has that always been a dream of yours? Is it something that you knew you were going to do post-military career? It was something that I wanted to do since I was 17 years old. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was I had a, a, an English class where the assignment was to, to read any novel you wanted and write a report about it. And as soon as you finished one, you had to do another. And so I was reading books of my own selection and I, uh, I never enjoyed a class more. Obviously, I got an A in it, and it just I knew that I was going to be a novelist someday. And I thought that was something that I would do, you know, when I got older. And then I met a, um, a novelist, Randy Wayne White. I don't know if you know the name. He's a, a pretty famous Florida uh, crime novelist. And I met him in my first year of junior college, and we were discussing, you know, the writing process. And he says, "Well, you like to be, you want to be a writer. You should, you should study that." And I didn't even know that was an option, that I could study creative writing. I was, I was all you know, geared up to be a physical therapist. And so uh, when I found out that I could study creative writing, I, you know, I switched my major immediately, and I, I started studying uh, creative writing. And it's been, it's been that ever since. It's amazing. Uh, what are uh, some, you mentioned, what was it, Cold War Canoeing? What, what was the, the topic Cold of that? Cold War Canoe Club? Yes. That was kind of our nickname for the Navy at the time, you know, during the Cold War. Uh, the, you know, the, the Navy is the Canoe Club. And so uh, I, I wrote a, a collection of stories called Cold War Canoe Club that feature uh, stories that take place not only during my enlistment, but also from 1949 on up to present day, basically, with uh, some of the guys who are older uh, as veterans. It's really cool. I, I'm really glad you decided to topic th- or tackle this subject <clears throat> because, I mean, you, you start mentioning and talking about all these racial issues on these ships uh, at, at the time, and I, I didn't know anything about it. Like you said, it's a, it's not very widespread uh, knowledge, and it was it was at the time. I mean, the research is available online with the New York Times, particularly with the mm-hmm. newspaper articles, and again, some of the congressional reports, uh, all pre Adam uh, Admiral Zumwalt, and uh, he he definitely came in and made huge changes. So I think it it got not silenced, but kind of swept under the rug because they wanted to move on, make a fresh start. And like I said, eleven years later, when I was in, you, you would never have known there were issues. Yeah, that's unreal. I mean, I remember reading accounts of uh, when the army became integrated, and I, I'm trying to remember what year it was, but it's in it was maybe like the late '50s where they did that, and um, it, it's just very interesting to to read those accounts from those times and and how quickly things changed. And at least from some of the ones I read, when they integrated the army, like it wasn't even that big of a deal. It was just like they came back into work and life went on. Exactly. You would have to think that would you know. Guys are guys, you know, people are people. And so they, they want to do their job and they want to do it well, but they also want it to be, be treated respectfully. Right, right. And, that, and that's all you can ask. Were you able to interview anybody from that time who was on one of these ships that experienced these issues? I, not personally, but in a lot of the uh, reference material that I used, there, there were extensive interviews. So okay. I, I got the benefit from that. Awesome. 
very cool, man. I think this audience is going to love it. We, we suggest they pick it up because uh, they love learning about military history. And it's cool that you got to fictionalize something that actually went on and was a big issue at the time. Uh, I'm going to ask you something completely unrelated to all this. And the, the audience isn't in the notes. We don't have the video other than for us. I'm curious about the uh, sports memorabilia behind you. Oh, man, I'm a Yankees fan. I was uh, I was born in New York, uh, um, just nine miles from the stadium in Mount Vernon. And my father, uh, we moved to Florida when I was four years old, but uh, my father raised me a Yankees fan. He grew up a Yankees fan, and I was um, a little leaguer during the 77 and 78 World Series years. And it's just, you know, it's been my team since I was, you know, born, basically. And and so I, I do collect some Yankee memorabilia, absolutely. The jersey behind you looks like it's signed by a full team. Oh, the 2000 team, yes. Wow. I mean, that's that got to be worth a ton. I don't know the value, but it was uh, it's priceless to me. It was actually a gift from my mother-in-law Christmas that year of 2000. And if I remember correctly, because I, I mean, there were so many World Series during that time. The 2000 Yankees were a World Series winning team, right? Right. That's the Subway Series against the Mets. That's right. I, re- I do remember that. Yeah. Wow. And then they... They dropped 2001, obviously, to the uh, the Diamondbacks, unfortunately, after September 11th. But, yeah, I, I 2000 was, was big. I was at that legendary game after 9-11 where uh, Mike Piazza hit that home run, uh, you know, for the Mets at home. And it was the first baseball game back, at, back in New York after 9-11. I was there with my dad. And it's something they still do, like, documentaries on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's actually kind of cool how baseball brought people together. You know, after such a tragedy, it was one of those things where people were able to. They, I've seen documentaries about it, people were able to smile at something, and, and life got somewhat back to normal for a lot of people. And it's cool because, I mean, two thousand one, I was a sophomore in high school. You don't realize the impact that this has, but people look back and they're like, "Yeah, New York was able to get back to you know just doing normal things at that time." And being there was just a baseball game to me, to be honest. Oh, at the time, yeah, when you're living it. But when you look back, like everything else, everything it has the perspective of time. It just it magnifies, and that, that's the beauty of it. Awesome. Well, great having you on. Um, once again, the website is jeffreyhess.com, and I should spell out Jeffrey because you spell it. Uh, so I'm, I'm used to the J E F F R E Y, but your yours is J E F F E R Y Hess.com at real Jeffrey Hess on Twitter. Um, anything else you wanted to get into here? No, I think that's great. The book comes out, what did you say, Monday? Monday on Memorial Day, yeah. Outstanding. So pick it up, a great piece of uh, military history, but a fictionalized account by you, and it's been great having you on. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Great having Jeffrey on. As I said, I I wanted to at least reflect on this. uh, Being, uh, you know, the end of me hosting this show with Jack, and for me, man, I mean, it's hard to believe this has been seven years since when Brandon brought me on board. And I've seen the show grow in many different ways. Uh, and the amount of guests we've had on, I mean, I'll never forget, I'll always have with me that I got to interview everyone from Buzz Aldrin to Rob O'Neill uh, to even some controversial guests like uh, General, uh, General Flynn, I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and Roger Stone. And I mean, Roger it's like, Stone. <laughs> like just a great list of guests here. But even more importantly, is just the fans of this show. I, at first, when I was abroad on board, it was a little bit rough because I I just this is not completely my whole world, and I feel like I got um, at a certain point accepted into it with uh, you know wide open arms and everything from both the people that we've had on the show that I've become friends with, like Chris Peranto and Quinn Emerson. Um, but then even, I would say more importantly, the fans of the show. And the first time I really realized that was the first shot show I went to. And I, it's the first time I've certainly ever felt like the closest thing to a celebrity is we're at the top of the uh, House of Blues room at the Mandalay Bay. And people were like, hey, Ian, love the show. And, and it made me realize that this thing is so much bigger than I uh, than, than it, I felt like it was in my head. And then I remember even in the years that followed, like, while we're in Vegas, this is like the time a year where it happens. I went to go 
uh, to the Apple store. I had to go do something for Brandon, and, and someone just hears me talking to an employer there, and they're like, hey, you're Ian from Soft Rep Radio. And then I went to a show totally off the strip to go see Sin City Sinners, which has the guitarist from Faster Pussycat. You guys know that's like my whole world outside of this is into like that era of rock music. And I'm not even talking. I'm there by myself. And two guys behind me were like, hey, you're Ian from Soft Rep Radio, right? And I ended up sharing, you know, a cab with them and talking to them about the show. And then there's even been an incident here in New York City where people recognize my voice I'm on the phone with my dad and... You know, they're like, I know you from the podcast. And it just, it's its so awesome to me, the response that I've got of uh, people that are kind of sad to see me moving on to different things. But I'm, I'm always around if, you know, anybody wants to have me on to discuss this type of stuff. But I, I really greatly appreciate it. I, I can't state it um, highly enough. I, I really just appreciate the response that I've gotten from people and the, seeing the reviews and seeing what this means to people and that, there's guys who have listened to the show and then went on to the military. It was like an inspiration for them. Guys who listen to the show while they're working out, which I'll never get because I listen to music when I'm working out. I, this would not, this would not like motivate me and pump me up. Uh, but I mean, I am just a fan of the medium of podcasting and I know what like the podcasts I listen to mean to me. And so for other people to have that same feeling listening to this, it's, uh, it's remarkable. And I love doing this. And I actually think just in my opinion, some of the more recent shows we've had are some of the best shows mm -hmm. in the entire nearly 500 episodes of this whole thing. So I do feel like I'm going out on top in terms of, uh, you know, the show hasn't like fizzled out or anything. We've had some just really excellent shows. I look back on the interviews with Dale Comstock recently, which was amazing. The last interview with Remy. I, I listened to the one with Remy uh, last night. I was, I was just curious how it came out and how it sounded. And I mean, it was great. Yeah, I, I think we tackled a, a great deal of issues with him. And, and I think Dennis is going to be great coming on board here. So uh, I'm going to continue to do some stuff in the voiceover field. And like I said, I don't rule out working with Jack on some outside projects and things like yeah. that. If, if something comes up that I think is worth doing, but it's just crazy because I've said it on the show before, but I've never been a history buff or a military nerd. I wasn't someone who like read all these books of, uh, you know, the, the guys that the books that you guys look up to, like Dick Marcinko and Carlos Hathcock and all that. Like I, I didn't even know about these guys until I was on board here. And it just kind of happened that I ran into you guys from my old gig. And so there was definitely a huge learning curve when I came on board and I, I had a handful of friends in the military, some of whom you've met. But now it's like I know dozens upon dozens of guys in the military where if I visit their state, they're down to hang with me and grab lunch and shoot the shit. And it, it, it's just awesome. It's great guys to know. And a lot of them have become guys that I consider friends, you know, like you. So Super cool, man. Um, you know, I think you're right that the, the podcast is better than it's ever been in the past. And I mean, you took it from uh, it was literally I mean, just to like rewind way back to the day uh, way back. I mean, it was like me on my laptop over Skype and like some dude like recording it on his computer. I mean, and we went from that to where it is today. We started getting bigger and bigger guests, more and more like exclusive interviews with people that are very difficult to, to track down and get and get to come on. Um, and I'm, so, I mean, I really think you took this podcast from what most podcasts are, just some dude, you know, recording in his garage, which yeah. is cool and like professionalized it and really turned it into something, um, you know, that can be presented to a large audience that has a lot of appeal, that the quality is very high. Um, and it shows, I mean, you have these people like Brad Thor, when they come through and they do their tour, they want to come on, on this podcast. Yeah. And I think it's because you, you know, you built it up to that level. Thanks, man. Um, now that this thing, it, it gets like, what, like back between 50 and 70,000 listens. It's a actually week, been like, more lately. It's been like a hundred thousand like, on good week. That's it. I don't even know what to say about that because like, I don't know. For anybody who wants to fact check that, by the way, it's cause SoundCloud, you can see the listens on there. But then um, we have internal lessons because of the app, because of mm -hmm. the website, and sometimes it doubles and what you'll see on SoundCloud. And all that. Well, SoundCloud actually tracks everything oh, except okay. for the internal stuff. But I mean, the numbers are huge. So, what does that mean? 
I mean, like you're talking about walking around Las Vegas, people recognize your voice. Like, what does that mean? You you have seventy or a hundred thousand people listening to your podcast. I mean, it has all yeah, the, I, has a wide reach. I think of how big that is. Like, I think of the venue. It's like, wow, we're speaking to like that's a lot of Nassau people. Coliseum yeah. at times. Yeah, and yeah, it's it, it's crazy to me because neither of us are celebrities or anything. I mean, meanwhile, you're you know doing CNN. I, I might be internet famous. <laughs> I might. Be. I don't know like what the what the uh, gauges of internet famous. Like not neither of us are Tommy Laren or you know yeah, somebody I'm not, recognized. Not Kim Kardashian, yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, I think you know you worked really hard on this podcast. I mean, we both did, and yeah. you, you worked harder on it because this is your full time job is doing the podcast. Um. And built it up into something that matters to a lot of people. And, you know, I, I'm proud of the podcast because of Me the, too. Because I always of, will be. Because of the content and because I think that when you listen to this, you get something you don't get on other podcasts. Like if you listen to, um, you know, there's all these like anti-war podcasts <laughs> out there, people who just hate the military and hate America. But then there's all these others that are like very patriotic and they're just waving the flag and they just want to say support the troops. But this is this is something different and unique. When you listen to this podcast, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we don't try to sugarcoat shit for people. And um, that's really important to me because I know there are, are so many um, younger folks out there who listen to this and are thinking about joining the military. And I don't want to blow smoke up their ass. Like, I want them to know the truth. And, you know, they go in with their eyes open. Um, yeah, I, I think integrity is very important to both of us in yeah. terms of who we want on the show, what we want to portray on the show. And, and we uh, don't pre-screen our our guests. No, like it's all in the moment, you know. Uh, like, yeah, there's been guests actually. I will say I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before, but it will say, "Can you send me questions in advance of what we're going to talk about?" Could you know? And I just always say, like, no, it's not really what we do. Yeah, here. like, well, I'll give you the gist. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like Jeff came on, Jeffrey came on today. We're going to talk about your book. That's the topic, right? Yeah. But we don't we don't give them questions, or we don't we don't like pre-screen them to see what their views are before. So it's all raw. It's just what you think in that what you say in that moment. Um. So yeah, I'm really proud of that. But. That, that I'm proud of the content, but you also work on like the back end and the logistics and the technical aspect of it and scheduling all the guests. And you have to put up with my bullshit too, because <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't think I can make it in today. Uh, you know, so dealing with all of that. And, and that all plays a, a big part of making a professional production. Yeah. And, and even just the people who, whose voice you hear on the podcast too, I, I don't really mention, but like Carol O'Brien, who does the intro, um, you know, and, and the outro and those those voices that you hear on here. Uh, yeah, no, I think we really put together a, a really professional product. And I, I, as I said, I think integrity has been a really big part of doing this in that a, a lot of other outlets want to put some image out there. And for us, it's always been about getting the truth out there, um, whether it's stuff people want to hear, they don't want to hear. And, and we'd probably have a bigger audience if we did a podcast that was like something that you hear on Fox News or, you know, now The Blaze. Or, or as you said, there's probably a market for these liberal woke vet podcasts. And we are neither of those. And I'm proud that we, we've always been neither of those. And we always let people say what they want to say. I mean, if you listen back to the episode with Jake's wig, it was completely different view of you <laughs> of uh eddie gallagher and we've always felt like that's okay we let people yeah. say what they want here we're not we're not trying to put forth a certain message I, and you know what's funny is like we've been able to do this without having the uh typical split screen debate of things and and i mean we've really kept it professional in the entire history of this show that you've never heard like you and i have some huge on-air fight or anything, you know. We've we've had like heated uh, discussions on things, but but I, I feel like uh, at least I've done my best, and I think you have too. Like I come in here and I try to turn it on every time, no matter what is going on in my personal life. I want to make sure that like we get a great interview out of these people, and that that you guys learn something. Because uh, I, I I realize for a lot of people like this is a highlight of their week while they're commuting while they're at the gym or wherever they listen. This is something they look forward to every Wednesday and Friday, and I don't want to let those people down. And uh, I hopefully have not. It, it was really and it is really important to me that we don't pander, that we're not just hot-dogging it, you know, for a certain, you know, demographic. Like like you said, telling people what they want to hear. 
Uh, and it's also important that we respect the audience's intelligence. Uh, there's a lot of media out there where you know you have these pundits who are screaming at people yeah. and they're telling you what to believe. And I never wanted to do that. I just want to present information. And I, I mean, I we give our opinions at sure. times, but I'm, I don't. I'm not interested in telling people what they what they should believe. I want you to think about what we're talking about, and you you know come to your own conclusions about that. Um, and I, I think we accomplished that for the most part. Yeah, I agree, man. And I guess if I could end it on anything, it's been awesome working with you the past seven years. It's I'm, I'll definitely be see, seeing Jack again. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we're far or anything. I'm sure we'll end up working together on something somewhere. I, I, I genuinely think we will, and I think a lot of this audience will check it out if we do. Um, but everything that you've done from your writing at the site to some of the guests that you've tracked down who no one has ever heard from, like these guys like Mike Vining, it's always impressed me. Your knowledge of military history, your knowledge of the special operations um, events in history. As Jim West said, like Jim was a guy, and he's talked about it many times on the show, who didn't want to open up to people. And then when he heard your knowledge of the special operations world, he was able to get comfortable with you. And I think that's happened with a lot of guys in the show. I don't, I don't think Dale Comstock, after all the fire that he was under for what went down, um, the, the contracting he was doing would be comfortable going on many media outlets, but he knows that you're not going to try to pull something out of him that he's not comfortable talking about. And I think that's why we've got, we've gotten the interviews that we have. Well, I will ask the question, but it's up to you how you want to answer it. <laughs> yeah, but but I think people are able to come on here and know we're not going to like slickly edit something. Right, right, to, right. You know, we do edit the podcast at times, but it's just in terms of because like, we're it's dead air. Like we're looking at each other, like uh. <laughs> yeah, things like that. I mean, if if a guest says something that they're not you know comfortable getting out there, uh, they always have you know that relationship with us of hey, can you take this out? It rarely happens. But I just mean we're not tr- we're not like a quick baity yeah, yeah. type of site. And, and I think I think that is partially why you know we've gotten all, a lot of these people to come on the podcast because they know that you know I'm not going to try to shout them down or Ian's <laughs> not going to like edit their answers and, and manipulate it and make it sound like they said something they didn't. Um, which more and more in this in this age we've seen where guys take their cell phones into an interview and they record it. Yep, yep. And then what what comes out the final product. You know, that, that some TV producer just chopped the shit out of the interview and makes it sound like I am a, a Nazi, <laughs> you know, like crazy yeah. stuff like that. And then when the full interview is published or you hear it, it's like, whoa, he didn't say that at all. Yeah. If anybody comes off either good or bad on the podcast, it's always of what, you know, of what they actually said. We don't paint anybody into a picture or try to make you feel a certain way about them. Like I, a lot of people really didn't like when we had on that libertarian presidential candidate. I can't remember his name. Oh, moment. Austin. Austin Peterson. Yes. You know, and it wasn't due to anything we said. People thought that we asked him certain questions and he came off kind of pompous about things. If I remember correctly, he's the one who um, said when I asked about a border patrol issue that he was like, well, that's why we have the Second Amendment. And I was like, well, you we should have, you know, citizens at the border, like <laughs> shooting <laughs> illegal immigrants coming over, you know, and and, and it's if people didn't like the way someone comes off, it's never because of something we did. I feel like like we let people come on here and get their message across yeah, you and can it's answer. up to the audience if they like it or not. Yeah. And they can answer the way they want. And, and I've noticed sometimes too, with listeners, sometimes they get upset because we haven't told them what to believe. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not, it's not all of the listeners, of course, but once in a while, someone will come to us like, oh, you got to take a side on this. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I can take a side, but I mean, it's also about the guests, like giving their point of view. And I, I think, that a lot of the guests we have come with experiences and expertise and firsthand knowledge that it's important to hear their side of things. And I I don't, I mean, me personally, I wouldn't want to listen to a podcast that it's like just the opinion of Jack Murphy for an hour and a half. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to listen to that. And I am Jack Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) And, And also, I mean, you guys who have listened to the podcast for a long time have seen, you know, people come and go in the hosting roles and in, uh, we we would have various uh, writers from the site host the show at times, and it's like to me at least these past couple of years, like the consistency of you and I has just been perfect. I, I don't think you could ever like replicate that chemistry that we have. Uh, we're you know we don't always agree on everything, but we're always able to have like I think a good discussion about stuff, and that's 
hard to come by. I mean, people sometimes think that you can just put people together for a podcast and it's going to work. And it's not always going to work. And, and a lot of the times, as, like, as you know, Dennis, there's always like this infighting with, <laughs> when you team people up as hosts. I was watching that. Uh, you probably saw it, the Mike and the Mad Dog. 30 for 30 on ESPN. Oh, I loved and, it. And I loved it, too. But those guys were fighting over, like, the most childish things. And they, it, they wouldn't, like, the second they'd go to break, they wouldn't speak to each other. Yeah, and it's what broke the show up. Right. You know, like, I, I, I was like, this is so silly that these guys were, like, these high-paid radio hosts for the biggest sports station are going to let these small things, like, break up this great show they have. I mean, they... They played the thing on that ESPN documentary of when Mike was on vacation. Instead of the Mike and the Mad Dog theme, he took out the mic. And it was like a fun thing as a joke. And like Mike came back furious that he changed the theme song. And it's like, come on, is this really that big of a deal for you know these guys who are paying, being paid millions to speak on air? But for them, like this shit was very important to them. And it's like it's, it's these little things that broke up the show. And you and I have never had no. honestly any issue where we've really gotten mad. Maybe it's because we only record this twice a week. Maybe if we're in the studio four hours a day, five days out of the week. I mean, I could tell you. Like that Orange County Choppers meme where he throws the chair at the guy. I haven't seen that, but oh yeah, I think <laughs> I have, I have. yeah, you've yeah. seen it. You've definitely seen it. Yeah. I mean, I, I could tell you just from working in radio sometimes, like it's unlike any other job because if you don't get along with someone that you're in the studio with, which has happened to me, it's not like another job where you're like, well, I could just avoid this person. Yeah, and I'll yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. other guys. A lot of the times you are stuck in a control room or in a studio with this person four hours out of the day. And you got to figure out a way to get along because you're going to have to work with this person. And a lot I've of been it, there. A lot of it too is uh, not with this podcast, but in other other avenues of uh, it's okay, Dennis. You can say it. You can say <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I'll get Ian and I have talked about this off air. Where you know, let's let's say you two like Ian was leaving because you guys had a beef, and that's not the case <laughs> at all. Not. Definitely but let's not. say on air. You know, I would it would I'd be I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't egg that on. Like it makes good <laughs> yeah. radio. Oh, yeah. So people like you know, you may hate you might hate the guy you're working with, but then somebody else like the third person, me or whoever else, Brandon, whoever works within this show is gonna egg it on to try and get a bigger reaction to for clickbaity headlines, and that's not what well, yeah, you guys are about. And it's weird. We I'm, we never have because I always feel like the focus has been on the guest more than like inner turmoil with, you know, the company or drama or anything like that. But I know what you mean because I was just listening to the Howard Howard Stern show that ended on, I don't know if you know, like a bit of a cliffhanger with uh, Benji Braun coming right. to the studio late again. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. And Howard being like, dude, this has happened this so right. many times. Like, I don't think you're going to have a job anymore. And, it, and I don't know if they're going to be back. Like, I, I'm curious about this whole thing now. Like, is Benji going to no longer be on the show? And... Uh, that that stuff does make for great radio. Like I'd rather listen to them talking about Benji being late than like a great celebrity interview on that show. It's just the way it is. Like some That's of because you because you grow with the characters, and I'm sure yeah. a lot. Of, um, I would say almost all of these listeners are going to miss you immensely. I mean, in my this is now the fourth show that I've <laughs> been a part of. I'm yeah. going to miss you. Like you were instrumental in coaching me along here i was saying earlier i mean me and ian are so close that we double up in the urinal and we play, <laughs> yeah. we play cross pit. i know that i noticed yeah. that i went in to go and i was like yeah. oh they're having a moment so yeah 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 i gotta yeah hopefully we get there one day jack hey well we will we will we'll, it takes we got, time we got the irish power going on <laughs> that's not a good thing <laughs> do you like true. the drink why do you think half that uh whiskey's missing <laughs> that wasn't dave richardson dave richardson loved that by the way that was the first thing you said when he came in the hibiki it's yeah, that's the Hibiki is uh, like Brandon's thing, but I haven't seen him in a while. But, it's an know. ethnic predisposition. Yeah. A gift and a curse. Yeah. It's, a, it's both the cause and the solution of all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with that, man, uh, I'm sure that there'll be other things in the future for me. I, I'm doing, like I said, a lot of voiceover stuff now. I know you're thinking male prostitution. <laughs> one nine uh, hundred. <laughs> uh, no, so I'm, I'm doing that. I actually am also looking to... Um, Wow, take this course. And I hate seeing the word alma mater. I think it sounds so douchey, but the college I went to, uh, I've been looking into. They have a certification for personal training there over the summer, which is something I've wanted to do for years. I'm going to do that as well. Um, so I'm not immediately doing anything again in podcasting or radio, but like if a great opportunity comes along, I, I mean, I've been doing broadcasting since 2006. Like it's been a long time. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of excited to take on other challenges, and that's why I'm doing this. And you know, on some level, 
I mentioned the quote on a recent podcast, but uh, I'm always inspired by different things that I read and different musicians that I read about. That's, that's always been a topic of mine that I love. And I mentioned how Cannabis, the rapper, when he was not necessarily at the height of his career, but his career was still going very well, decided to enlist in the Army. And in an interview, they asked him, like, why would you do this? You're like this big-name New York rapper. And he, he just said, like, this is what's defined my life since adolescence is rapping. He's like, I want my life to be defined by different things. I don't want to be stuck into, like, one box. And I feel the same way. I would love to do bigger things than I've already done with voiceover and things with my love of fitness. Um, but this is something I, I've naturally gravitated to is doing radio, doing podcasting. So I do think at some point I will get back to this. It just has to be the right situation. Um, I'm not like looking to go just board up another show right now or produce another show in, in the future, possibly. But unless something comes along right now that I'm really passionate about, I'm looking to like explore other avenues. And, you know, I know for you, you, you know, you are into doing this as well as being a writer as well uh, in terms of like a um investigative journalist but then also writing your memoir and doing yeah, other yeah. things i think just part of life is challenging yourself to do new things and i haven't done that in a while i think it's also just part of the modern economy like unless you have a real career like you're an engineer or a doctor or something like you have to know how to do 10 different things oh yeah all these people who are like big names on youtube i realize like they're not just people who know the ins and outs of of being a broadcaster and the um you know, how to do like a mic break here and, and formatics, like all these people, they know like video editing. I don't really know video editing. They and know e even the big ones though. I mean, they say themselves are like, you're crazy if you quit your job and just be like a full-time YouTuber. It's weird though, because I quit what was like a more stable career at Sirius to be a full-time podcaster. Yeah. And somehow yeah. it worked. And it like, I'm very proud of the fact that it worked. Like my whole uh, I said this in, in what I wrote on Twitter, if you guys saw on Facebook, but like my whole thing of what I was young and what I wanted to do, I just wanted to avoid having to put on a suit and tie every Same day here. and get like yeah. a quote, air quotes, real job. And somehow I'm, I'm about to be 33 years old and I've never had like a, what people consider a real job. And I'm really proud of that fact. Yeah. It's like my wife is like, why don't you dress like a, a, an adult and like have like a sports <laughs> coat and stuff? I'm like, honey, like. If I wanted to do that, I would have chosen a totally different path in life. I would have gotten a real job and like gone and worked in an office and I'd be like one of these hedge fund bros. Like, what's the point of doing this job if you can't like sit in your home wearing your pajamas writing at your computer? Like, what? what I, I asked Ian before the show, uh, we were prepping and I was like, hey, do you wear shorts in the summer? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is come to New York City, just sweat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No one here has given me crap about any of that. Uh yeah, no, that, that's always been what I've wanted to do is just to kind of do my own thing. And, and you know, and that's obviously not to uh, take shots at anyone who listens to this podcast who took another path in life. I mean, I think we all have different things that we're passionate about. And, and if you're at a job that you're not passionate about, you could always pursue things on the side that you are. And I was doing that at one time by doing my own podcast. And, you know, if this inspires you to do your own thing, a lot of people have said to me, I'm going to start my own podcast. The problem is that I have a lot of people who say I'm going to start a podcast. And then a year later, they're still thinking of oh, starting a podcast. That's with a lot of things. Yeah. And if, a lot of people. If you're thinking of, you know, if, if this podcast makes you want to write a book, start a podcast, uh, no one's going to like hold your hand through it. Fucking do it, man. Uh, whatever it is that you're passionate about, take the leap and. You know, even if it's something on the side of your nine to five job, if it's something that's calling you, go out and do it. That's my inspiration for you as I end this. Uh, last thing is, uh, you know, I, I will get the reads out of the way here because uh, I do always feel we got to promote what we're doing here at Hurricane Group. So this will be my last read for here. Uh, be sure to check out Crate Club. It's a club for men by men of gear handpicked by special operations veterans. All tier crates are available at CrateClub.us. Right now, we're running an extremely limited promotion of 20% off for all SoftRep Radio listeners. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long we can keep this promotion live. So get on it right now. That's CrateClub.us. Coupon code SoftRep for 20% off your subscription for all crates. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder for those who are listening, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. 
The Spec Ops Channel Premier Show Training Cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops Channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already signed up at the News Rep, you've got to get on board. Expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers you've heard on here, like Jack Murphy, like Stavros, and all those other guys who write for the site, and the many guest writers who pop in as well. Unlimited access to the News Rep on any device. Unlimited access to the app. Join the War Room community. Invitations to our exclusive events. And it's all ad-free for members. We have a trial offer up right now where you can get four weeks for only $1.99. Sign up today at thenewsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. And uh, if you'd like to follow me, as always, at Ian Scotto on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Ian Scotto Radio. And uh, that's about it for me, man. It's been an honor. We're, uh, you know, working here and also uh, providing content for you guys, the listeners. That's a wrap, man. But until we see you next time, I'm sure you're going to cruise in here wearing like (laughs) one of those purple Lawrence Fishburne suits. Like, (laughs) fuck you guys. I'm making ball of ass money now. Are, are you guys going to be back on uh, Wednesday? I don't even know what you, you guys have planned. Or do we have? Because I know your your official first day is June first. Does that mean next week you guys have shows? Because I have no idea. I yeah, have I no mean, idea either. <laughs> I didn't think the uh, I didn't think the wheel was going to stop turning. Okay, so you guys so will hope, tune in. Hopefully, tune in next Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, and I will be in uh, Sedona, Arizona, hiking with two of my old friends from not only high school, elementary school. I cannot wait to be in Sedona. Um, and when I told my friends that I was leaving, they were like, dude, leave right before you go to Sedona. And I was like, that sounds like a plan, dude. So I'll be in Sedona. And uh, yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.